That's a clown question, bro. Hey, what's up on you? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I think Mondays and Thursdays now. I think it's pretty consistent. Yes, I am your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How are you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing well today. Uh, we've had another fun weekend of baseball. I know that's very cliche, but we got some stats to go over. We got some players to highlight. We got some bad stats, uh, as we're going to call them. Well, there's a name that we'll, I guess, get revealed later. But alarming. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we got slightly alarming statistics coming up later. <clears throat> no, it's slightly alarming, Chris. The fact that more teams are actually going out and being social during the uh, the sixty game shortened season, such as the St. Louis Cardinals, which is our first topic. We have a COVID outbreak. Uh, the second team to have one is the Cardinals, and there were rumors going around i don't know how much truth there is to it but there's been multiple reports that players went out to a casino which is i don't understand i really don't like what what are we doing here yeah um it could have been before this started because this is when uh because it takes a couple weeks to test positive but i mean i i don't know how people aren't smarter than that because you have the Marlins who, who may have been celebrating. you. They may have gone out and clubbing. You have the Cardinals going out to a casino. It's multiple. I mean, these are grown men who have seen all the headlines. They've, they've read all the safety protocols just from, you know, the CDC, from the government, from the league, from everybody. I don't understand what you're still doing going out when you're about to embark on a 60-game journey, when you're about to play a bunch of other teams from different cities where you can infect them as well as yourselves. Yeah, and it's not even – it's not necessarily about, um, you know, it's not necessarily about your own health or even the health of <clears throat> of the other players in the league. Most mostly, mostly people will be fine. It's about you know, if there's a giant outbreak, the season's going to get canceled. So you have to do your own part in making sure this season happens at at the very least. Yep. And there's a possibility that it doesn't happen. I really don't understand what, what we're doing here. But uh, Manfred has threatened to shut it down. Rob Manfred, there was a report yesterday that came out that he told Tony Clark that if the players uh, didn't do more to prevent the spread of the disease, that he was going to shut the whole season down. Uh, I, I'm sure Rob is aware that uh, he, he – I'm sure Rob is aware – that he uh, enforced multiple great safety protocols. Like, of course, you know, uh, he definitely had a hall monitor going from the beginning. He definitely uh, told players not to go anywhere from the beginning. That definitely happened. So it's definitely Tony Clark's fault. We all know that, of course, right? Yeah, uh, that's that's it. I just uh, I just looked up the information. Uh, mm-hmm. None of that's true. No, none of that's true at all. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Literally nothing. Uh, he straight up does not care that much about the safety of the players of the league. And I think a lot of, I think of he's playing, he's, he's using the players as a scapegoat, which is a shame. Uh, you know, a lot of people, myself included, I initially took this to mean he was uh, using Tony Clark specifically as the, the scapegoat. He was kind of just talking to him as a way to get to the players because he obviously has to go through him. But I mean, Rob Manfred, you know, he refused the one that 
didn't let the bubble happen. You know, there's a lot of stuff saying the players, hold on. Okay. I'm just going to get this off my back right now for all the people out there that have been saying like, Oh, like the, the player, the players were the ones that, that rejected the bubble. It's their fault. I'm just going to read a report uh, right here. This is from Manfred quote. I think the decision that we made with respect to the bubble was the right one. The baseball commissioner said we're different than other sports. We have, we would have, would have, ah. We would have had to have had multiple different locations, probably in order to just have enough facilities to make it work. The number of people involved and the number of people to support the number of players is much, much larger in our sport, which is true. That's all. I'll cut it off there. But, you know, I get what Manfred is saying there. There is 30 players on a team is a lot more than what you got in the NBA and what the NHL have. They have bubbles. But all these people out here saying that it's the player's fault for rejecting the bubble. That's just flat out wrong. Yeah, exactly. And they weren't, they definitely weren't wrong to reject the bubble. I mean, they would have had the longest season uh, out of anyone with the bubble. And I'm mm-hmm. guessing the largest rosters, especially for uh, rosters that are being developed. So yep. they're not necessarily wrong to reject the bubble. However, when you're, when you know that the bubble is not happening, you still have to, you, you have to be, you have to be very stringent. You have to be like uh basically like a, like you're a prison guard for the entire league. You know, it has to be like Shawshank in terms yeah. of keeping them where they are, making sure that they are at the correct locations all the time until, uh, until that last pitch is delivered in the World Series. Exactly. I mean, in the NBA, you literally have people get having, having to quarantine for 10 days because they go outside the bubble to get their Postmates. Yeah, yeah, and it – you know, you have to have similar, yeah, you have to have similar guidelines and, you know, even with the NBA, like they're, they're at a much, they're much safer. So you, you might even have to be a little more stringent, you know, I'm not sure how, but you definitely have to make sure that there is some, some lockdowns in order for the season to happen. Not, you know, not just for the players, but just for the entire league as a whole. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, I mean, I I don't I can't understand Manfred needing to wanting to shut it down. Like you obviously, it's a really bad look if more and more people continue to get this virus and more and more people uh, have severe symptoms. I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez is out for the year uh, with heart issues because of the virus. So I understand not wanting to put more players in danger. But I mean, you had four and a half months to worry about this, and you spent that entire time trying to uh, having helping the owners trying to rob the players of, of money with the, with the labor negotiations. So, I mean, Rob Manfred did a really bad job with time management and figuring out how this is going to work in my opinion. Yeah. And we've known, we've known what pretty much for the past couple of years, we know what, uh, what side Rob Manfred aligns with for the most yeah. part. He's obviously the owners are the ones who decide whether or not he stays. Like if, if the commissioner gets voted out, it's the owners voting, which is unfair. I think the players should have a say in that too, because he's under their direction as well. But yeah, I mean, if the players took a vote, it would be pretty lopsided as far as getting Manfred out of there. And that's from all sides of the, of the angles, you know, Trevor Bauer has been super outspoken about Manfred. He's a guy who's pretty much got his money. I know he hasn't hit free agency yet, but he's gotten paid handsomely so far in the MLB and he's going to continue to when he hits free agency uh, in the, in the winter, unless he decides to take a one-year deal, which I would understand. And you, you probably have guys 
you know, in the minors, he's trying to cut 42 minor league teams. That's less job opportunities. That's less major league baseball opportunities. There, there's no, there's no real reason to like Rob Manfred if you're a player. Yeah, there's, there's nothing that they've really, that he's really done in particular for players. I mean, the only thing I can think of is for offensive players, you know, drive their home run numbers up by juicing the baseballs. But other than that, I'm not, I'm not very sure. And even that is, is far less than, I mean, like, you know, you can just go down the line of things that happened in the last six months, you know, the, the lack of punishment, uh, against the Houston Astros for their for their cheating scandal, you have players all over the league, players who had never spoken up before, you know, s- signing off about uh, how much they hate the Astros and their lack of punishment. And people came at Rob Manfred that for that. And then after that, you had calling the World Series trophy a piece of metal, among the other comments he made. You had so many different things. You had the labor negotiations. You have the lack of safety protocols that led to two outbreaks already. I mean, there's plenty of things. You had a, you had. Remember during the draft when he said they were, they were, he was 100% confident they were going to play, and then five days later he said, I'm not sure, I can't promise anything? You can't walk back on that after five days. Yeah, and suspending Joe Kelly for eight games. Yep, yep. It's been That's another uh, guy. I even mentioned that was, this is just in, most of this is just in like the past two months, if, if even that. Yeah, and we, you know, we already had our, our, um, our, you know, absolute evisceration of Rob Manfred and the Houston Astros back when that was just after one thing. That was that was in February, and that's not that's yeah. you know low on the list now of things to complain about with Rob Manfred. Mm-hmm. That's right. So anyway, that's that's our thoughts on Manfred shutting it down. Uh, I mean, I guess we just took that as an opportunity to take jabs at him again, but I think it's worth it. And I understand canceling the season for health reasons, but. I think a lot of the reason why we've gotten to this point has to do with his uh, lack of ability to in- ensure player safety. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we have heard a lot about, you know, the outbreaks, uh, particularly Cardinals, Marlins. Mm-hmm. And with the Marlins outbreak, you know, that was a crazy outbreak. I think it's like 17 or 18 guys uh, in that yep. organization uh, got, got the Rona. But, mm-hmm. uh we thought, you know, that's, this is probably going to spread to Phillies players who they played a three-game series against. And, you know, it still could go to Phillies players. It's been about a week since they've played the Phillies, and it takes about – it can take up to two weeks for a positive test to show up. However, there have been no positive tests um, from the Phillies organization thus far. Um, a real – I mean, that's like a – it's like a meteor missing Earth by – couple miles with that uh this Phillies thing yeah I mean zero positive tests for the last couple days I mean they got to be feeling really lucky uh if you're that team I'm excited to see them back on the field I think that can be an exciting team to look for you know I've mentioned how high I am on Zach Wheeler I think this is Bryce Harper's revenge season Didi Gregorius has looked really good as well Aaron Nola, of course, is an ace at the top of that rotation. Joe Girardi, I'm interested to see how he is as a manager. I hope he's better than Joe Madden for the Angels because he hasn't been doing too good. I might get into that later, honestly, because uh, I have some bones to pick with him. But, yeah, no, I'm excited to see the Phillies get back on the field. I'm really glad that uh, the virus hasn't spread to them as, as though we thought it would. There was, a, there was I believe, a, a coach and a staff member that tested positive a couple of days ago. Am I correct in that? Um, yeah, I – I haven't seen 
much about that, but yeah, I think that I, yeah, I think you got, I think you got that right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Anything yeah. else you got? On? I'm, uh, I mean, just the, just the thing. I think that's one, that's one good takeaway, I guess, from yeah. this whole COVID outbreak is. It, it sounds like a direct cause of it is is people going out and doing things outside yeah, of it, baseball. It, it doesn't seem to be spreading on the field, you know. Even you know, not ever. Uh, most most of the players aren't wearing uh, masks on the field, although they are pretty far away from each other, and I understand that. But even even without that, uh, I guess there wasn't a lot of spreading on the uh, on the field going on. So maybe maybe the on the field protocols uh as far as what what manfred ordered there that's going pretty well as of now but off the field it's looking pretty rough and as a result of you know these these marlins and phillies and now national Brewers and Cardinals. yeah yeah national so blue jays cancellations um they're going to be now implementing seven inning double headers just like uh in the minor leagues i know in the minors they'll do like scheduled double headers it'll be seven inning games each um what are we thinking about this well we saw our first seven inning double header today um with the the reds and the tigers the reds took both of those trevor bauer actually pitched a complete game shutout uh if you want to call it that seven innings pitched no runs seven strikeouts in that start uh I don't have a problem with it at all. I mean, I think it's – as long as it only stays in this year, I don't think it's something that should continue down the line. Uh, I know Manfred loves that pace of play thing, and seven innings will be fun. Uh, but honestly, very rarely do you see a doubleheader where, like, the, the first game goes super long and it delays the start of the second game. Uh, so I think nine-inning doubleheaders going forward are perfectly fine. As far as needing to make up games that are lost in such a short amount of time this year, it's perfectly fine to have seven innings. For now yeah yeah i mean definitely definitely something that you want to stick in in 2020 i definitely agree with you there um mm -hmm. i mean it'll be it'll be very interesting to see you know how this affects games I, I guess you know teams with less bullpen depth um aren't gonna have to worry as much you know a, a team like maybe the nationals who have very good starters and not great um not great bullpen guys, they, they can benefit from that. And then the, of course, vice versa, it um, definitely devalues your team a little bit. You know, if, if you're, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays, I mean, I guess they have a good starting staff, but I mean, like the Oakland athletics, very good bullpen, not the best starters. They're not going to be as rewarded as much during, during those games, but it probably shouldn't be too much of a big deal because I think it'll be very specific teams like the, you know, the Phillies and Marlins, of course, are going to be playing a lot of these. Um, the Brewers and Cardinals now are going to be playing some of those. But I think, uh, I think it'll, be, it'll be interesting because it reminds us of, uh, like, some summer baseball, like AAU, American Legion type stuff. I think it's pretty interesting. Yep. Uh, and I, like I said, I think it should stick with this year, but I don't have a problem with it this year. Yeah. As long as there's – baseballs being thrown and uh, bats being swung this year. I am, I am happy for, it. I am here for that. Absolutely. You know what? It might, it might mess around with some ERAs and some, some strikeouts per nine, some of those rate statistics, but 
It's for the greater good. Right, right, that's correct. Well, um, now on to, I guess, the actual play, or not even, not yet, not, not the actual play on the field. Uh, there was a, uh, a very interesting yeah. day by, by a certain Mets outfielder. Um, yeah. Jonas, Jonas Cespedes uh, decides to opt out and not really let anyone know. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, we've had Lorenzo Cain recently opt out uh, through a statement that the team issued. So obviously he told them and that's how the Brewers found out. Yoenis Cespedes just decided to no show. He went full Matt Harvey and just decided to no show, not tell anyone uh, to the game today. And I was, people were legit worried if he was okay or not. So, I mean, I hate that. I hate when that happens. I hate when you do stuff like that. You just go missing without telling anyone and you have people worrying about your actual health. Like I was, I was worried about the worst, but turns out he just decided to stay home. Not only that, but the Mets reached out to him and he didn't respond to anything. They checked his, his apartment where he was staying in Atlanta. He didn't say anything. He wasn't there. All his stuff was packed. And that was his way of opting out for the season. And I get it. You know, Cespedes is a guy who's had a lot of health issues, a lot of them physical, obviously, but you still don't want to take any risks, especially with what's going on. And also like, you know, the outbreak is in your division. So you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you don't know what's going on. Even if you haven't played the Marlins and you haven't played the Phillies, you're going to be playing them and you don't know what's going to be happening, especially since that's the division that has the most outbreak, if you will. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Mets definitely didn't, haven't started the way that they have wanted to. And uh, I think, you know, it should be a bit of a blow. I think Cespedes was starting out pretty mm -hmm. well this season. Thanks, because, you know, everyone wanted that comeback. Like, he homers on opening day. He looked good at, in spring training and in summer camp. And you get this out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not something that you like to, you like to see at all. Mm -hmm. Very unfortunate. Um, but, um, sorry, I was looking at, looking for some, some extra stats, but I think. Sorry. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be fine. So yeah, Jonas Cespedes, he's out for the year. I, I'm glad you mentioned Lorenzo Cain because I think that'll be bigger than um, a lot of people think, especially, you know, the Brewers are a team that might benefit from the 16 team playoff format. You know, it's, you know, they probably yeah. would, they probably wouldn't have made it in a 10 team format. And, uh, but a 16 team format is very possible for them. But, and, you know, Lorenzo Cain, even like last year, he had a very poor offensive year, but he still put up three wins above replacement because of his defense. And you're definitely going to be missing that guy, even if he's not producing offensively. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, on to on -field play. the on-field play, you know, off the field stuff out of the way. Um, a little – we'll address this shortly. So the Tampa Bay Rays, our American League champions, our, our American mm -hmm. League champions that we predicted prior to the season, both of us, uh, they're on a five-game losing streak, and it's not like they're, you know, losing to the Yankees or losing to the uh, – I, I guess they did lose part, partially to the Braves, but they got swept by the Orioles this weekend. And uh, it it seems to be – 
different reasons every time. It's not all, it, it hasn't been strictly the offense that's underperforming. It hasn't been strictly pitching that's underperforming. It just seems like nothing's going quite right, and you don't really seem you can't really seem to diagnose anything. And you know, stuff like this happens in a 162 game season to everybody. I mean, everyone has their slumps. Everyone goes through their great moments. Everyone go, and this is you know nothing different. The problem is it, it means a lot more in a 60 game season. Yeah. Um, yeah. A 60 game season. I mean, every game, I think we've discussed this, you know, each, each game in a 60 game season has the value of, um, has the value of 2.7 games in, uh, in a 100. Yeah. It has the value of 2.7 games in a 162 game season. Um, and yeah, you know, you don't like to see this from the Rays, uh, a team that, a lot of people had as a, as like a dark horse. And, but the thing is, is it does, it's not really a diagnosable problem. So you think that they'll kind of get back on the horse eventually, but, and uh, you know, they have an opportunity. They have, they have two games against the Red Sox on Tuesday and Wednesday. Maybe they can get back on the horse there, um, especially with the offense. But then, you know, they uh, face the Yankees in a four gamer over the next weekend, which will definitely be a, a series to watch. You know, you hope yeah. if you're a Rays fan or looking for the Rays to succeed, um, that this team can get, get back on the horse before they uh, face the Yankees. Yeah. I mean, a five game losing streak gets a lot more of attention right now than it would, especially when you were expected to be this dark horse, you know, watch out for this team. And then you get swept by the Orioles of all teams. I mean, that can't happen. It's not like they lost two. I guess they did lose, lose two games to the Braves beforehand. So not much to, to complain about there, but you cannot get swept by the Orioles. Yeah. It's not something you want to see, especially in the year 2020, but they mm -hmm. should be able to recover, but it definitely hurts their um, division winning chances. I mean, the Yankees are, six and one right now they haven't faced the greatest of competition but they're still six and one probably at the end of tonight probably going to be seven and one um just just by how the red Sox are, are pitching the ball but mm -hmm. from some pessimism to some optimism about a team that definitely was not uh looked at the biggest surprise so far. definitely uh not looked at as seriously as you know a raised type team we're looking at the Colorado Rockies, kind of surprising us. Mm -hmm. And you know, they haven't faced terrible competition. They faced the Rangers. They faced the Oakland Athletics, who are definitely a playoff team. And uh, this past weekend, they faced the Padres, who only had two losses before they faced the Rockies. They're 6-2 and two now with a plus-19 run differential. Both their losses have been by one runs. Um, it's looking very good in, uh, in Colorado for the first roughly uh, – 15% of the season. Yeah. And I mean, if you're a baseball fan, you know exactly uh, how baseball is, is traditionally played in Colorado. You have great offense uh, with not so great pitching and the starting pitching has done an incredible job. I mean, Herman Marquez, John Gray, and Kyle Freeland, not particularly in that order, but the three of them have done an outstanding job. Marquez with a one, five, four ERA. Uh, I mean, that's something you absolutely love to see. Uh, Gray with a two six one, Freeland with one one five, uh, and all of them have FIPS that are above their ERA pretty significantly. So you know you might you you could see them coming down to earth, but regardless, 
I mean, they're in an NL West division where second place is up for grabs for anyone that's not named the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, all four teams, especially with the way the Giants played this weekend against the Rangers, uh, have a reasonable shot of getting that second of that of getting that four through six seed in the playoffs. And the Colorado Rockies have emerged as a team that has has been a pleasant surprise, and I'm excited to see if they can continue this. Yeah, and this is where, you know, we talk, you know, we've talked about, everyone's been talking about how it's gone from the marathon to the sprint. And this is where you start to kind of separate yourselves. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's only like 10 games into the season, but they've definitely separated themselves from a team that was favored to be, you know, that second place team, the Diamondbacks, who we're going to get into later, who have really struggled. The Diamondbacks have really struggled. But yeah, and... Mm -hmm. It is funny you mentioned the the uh, Rockies. You know they're that. They're, you you think about when you think of the Rockies, you're thinking of Nolan Arenado. You're thinking of Trevor Story, uh, Charlie Blackman, uh, maybe Trevor even. Story's been one of the best players in the league, by the way. Sorry to interrupt yeah. your point. Yeah, and you know Trevor Story has probably been the only one of that trio so far to really do much offensively. It's been the pitching, and. You know, one guy definitely to highlight before I get into some other stats. Kyle Freeland has looked very good uh, over his first two starts. You know, the he his uh, you know he was never the big strikeout guy. He did strike out a decent amount, almost a strikeout per inning. But um, you know, back in 2018, he was top nine percent of the league in hard hit in hard hit percentage, and then. Uh, it was at 29.2%. And then it went up in 2019 to 40.1%. 40.1% of, um, of contact was hit over 95 miles per hour. And now over the first two starts, I mean, I know it's a small sample. It's back down to 26.7%. So, you know, Kyle Freeland is, is uh, avoiding hard contact, which is very good to see. It's a good indicator of future success because he does have, you know, a 1-5 ERA now. And the, the staff as a whole has been great. So today today was their sixth their sixth game, the, the sixth time a starter uh, went five-plus innings, allowing less than three earned runs. And that is the most amount of times that a Colorado Rockies pitching staff has done that in their first eight games of the season. How about that? So there you go. How about that? Uh, Chris, you mentioned the small sample size earlier. And, you know, I know it's hard, you know, as a baseball fan from this perspective where you're trying to be analytical, you know, you don't want to buy into the small sample sizes, but you have to this year because it's really not that small. It's not as small, I should say. Yeah, this is the equivalent of, you know, the Rockies are at the point of, uh, 22 games in a 162 game season. So, hey. Roughly a little less than a month. Yeah. Uh, and just some, before we wrap up on the Rockies, I just have some ranks. Coming into today, into today uh, Sunday, the Rockies lead the majors in starting pitcher ERA. They are also seventh in the majors in FIP for starting pitchers and fifth in WIP. Uh, which is walks plus hits divided by innings pitch. That's all starting pitcher ranks. Their staff is among the best in the majors, which is really encouraging if you're the Colorado Rockies and you play at that elevation. Yeah, and after today, 
their their uh, starting pitching ERA is exactly flat two. Yeah. Um, wow. Which wow. is unbelievable to see, especially up in up in elevation. Although you know they've only played one home series, but still something something good to see and something to look for throughout the season. See if that success is maintained. I'm thinking Kyle Freeland is going to have a bounce back year. But as for the rest of the staff, we'll definitely see. But let's get into some more positive, uh, how, some more positive reinforcement for some players and uh, some teams. I'm not sure. Players. And yeah, teams. I got I got two players that I'm highlighting today. All right. So we've got some some how about that's for you. So welcome to the August third edition of How About That? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Chris, do you want to start? Uh, I, I don't think I, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't have anything for, or yeah, I do. That's right, I do. Well, I guess it's a pretty, these are some pretty basic How About That's, you know, when you go to the, uh, the school of baseball statistics this is a 101 class this is where what you learn in 101 um Shane Bieber he has uh you know he had 27 strikeouts through his first two starts he had 14 on opening day and he had 13 um he had 13 on Thursday and that is tied for the most strikeouts in the first two starts of any season and not only that Shane Bieber is the only uh, pitcher in base in baseball history to have two 13 strikeout games in the t- in the team's first 10 games. How about that? Pretty incredible. I mean, Shane Bieber. My favorite thing right now is that he has a negative .36 FIP. Like he's. Yeah. Even the runs, or he hasn't even given up any runs. He still has a zero ERA, but he's actually been getting unlucky according to his FIP, even though he has 27 strikeouts and no earned runs, which is incredible. That's hilarious. So I'm going to get into my how about that. I have two players, like I mentioned earlier. The first one, this guy is still playing as as we speak right now. Uh, He's in extra innings. So some of these stats can be a little different if he gets another opportunity. But uh, I'm talking about everyone's favorite angel in the outfield. That is Brian Goodwin. He, uh, he's been killing it to start the season. As we speak, a 345 average with an 1114 OPS. Not bad. Uh, but I have, some, uh, I have some stat cast things that I found on him that I saw were pretty interesting. And these numbers are probably going to even out. And also, it's not necessarily in his control. But... Uh, it's something that I thought was very, very interesting. So in 2019, Brian Goodwin hit 313 on fastballs and 197 on breaking balls. So he's a fastball hitter. And oddly enough, the fastball distribution uh, to him this year has gone up from 53.8% to 62.7%. And the breaking ball distribution, it's gone from 30.9% to 25.4%. So I know that that'll probably even out, but, and I know that as a player, you're just going to see more fastballs than anything else. That's just natural. But the fact that they're actually attacking him with them more 
despite him being a clear fastball hitter, is really surprising to me. I guess you could say it's slightly alarming. Uh, we'll save that for later, though. But Brian Goodwin, seeing a lot of fastballs and doing what he does best against them. How about that? Indeed. Go, Brian Goodwin. Brian Goodwin. By the way, while we're talking about uh, Angels in the outfield, shout out to Mike Trout, who became a father this weekend, or last week, I guess, on July 30th. Uh, yeah. He and his wife gave birth to... Beckham Aaron Trout, uh, baby boy, baby boy. Um, huh, his initials are his initials spell bad. Yeah, his initials spell spell bad. He's probably gonna have a good one. I can't I can't wait for his first seven win season. That's gonna be a good. That's gonna be a good one. Yeah. Uh, my next. I can't wait. My to next one to put uh put up ten wins above replacement his rookie year. <laughs> In, in 2042. It's going to be great. Um, so my second how about that, strangely enough, this is my second Detroit Tiger uh, that I'm doing this week. I did Jacoby Jones last week. Talk about Tyler Alexander. Chris, did you catch his uh, his relief appearance today? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't not talk about this. So he comes in. Hold on. I'm just going to pull this up real quick. He comes in relief. Uh, after two innings by the Tigers starter, strikes out the first nine batters he faces. First nine. That is that ties an American League record alone. And then he gets and then after that he hits a guy, strikes out another guy, walks a guy, and then parts. And the the inherited the inherited runners did not end up scoring. So uh, his line on that incredible start, three innings pitched. 10 strikeouts. I'm sorry, three and two thirds innings pitched, 10 strikeouts, one walk. Oh, by the way, there was also a, a base running out, I should add, uh, mixed in there. Uh, so that's, that is 10 out of 11 outs were strikeouts, which is incredible. Uh, and he is the first reliever. That's okay. He is the first reliever. Since Smokey Joe Wood, you have to go all the way back to him on July 17th, 1909, to strike out 10 batters in four innings or less. About that. So you had an all-time relief appearance there from Tyler Alexander in, in, as far as dominance goes, and I couldn't let that go unnoticed, even though it's a very small sample size. It's just one outing. Yeah, it's, that's absolutely insane, and, you know, no one had really ever heard of of Tyler Alexander before this, and ten He's strikeouts, ten strikeouts in three and a two th three and two thirds innings. You know, I remember, uh, I remember like when we were first discovering like Josh Hader. That was he mm -hmm. he was doing that type of stuff, but in less innings. He was doing like two and two thirds, seven strikeouts. It would be insane, and that's where we kind of learned about him. So maybe. Tyler Alexander might be able to turn into uh, into that type of, of pitcher. But now we go from the highs to the lows. And uh, mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about some players and teams that are looking. Slightly alarming. Slightly alarming. Some slightly alarming statistics uh, for you. Um, I, I'll start. I'll go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. I'll go ahead. And I start. had two things I wanted to point out. Yeah. Is one of them Shohei Otani? No, but go right ahead. All right, because that, that's what I was looking up um, during yeah. the show. So Shohei Otani, 
uh, he had he had a rough first start. He didn't get one single out. He gave up uh, seven consecutive base. He allowed seven consecutive uh, batters to get on base. And today, you know, he was looking good through one inning. He pitched. Uh, he had a perfect first inning, and then he goes ahead and walks five batters in the second inning and gets pulled. He walks in two runs, and he gets pulled after an inning and two thirds of work. And uh, he is the fourth player in baseball history. Uh, the other players to do this, Stan Williams in 1962, Hank Johnson in 1929, and Joe Cowley in 1987. So he nice. is the fourth player to pit. He's the fourth player in the team's uh, first 10 games to have two starts with or less innings and three plus walks slightly alarming yeah i mean coming back from tommy john surgery you know shoyo tani's gotten all the hype of being a two-way player and luckily you know he has the fallback option of just being a hitter which he's been pretty good at uh, over the past week two home runs so you know thankfully this isn't the absolute worst case scenario for shohei otani but uh yeah i mean you, you definitely need to be better on the mound there is that uh did you have anything else? Uh, no, I do not. Okay. So for my first uh, slightly alarming player, I'm highlighting the guy who has been, statistically speaking, coming into Sunday, the worst hitter in all of Major League Baseball. Do you know who that is, Chris? Coming into Sunday? Whew. In pretty much every statistic. I'll go through all of them. Um, do you want to what, what team? The Milwaukee Brewers. Um, is it Orlando Arcia? No. Um, I don't know. Give me, give me it. Chris, you, you're you're sitting down right now, right? That's that's correct. Okay, I'm just I, you know, this is not the start you wanted from a, from a guy of of this guy's caliber. Oh no! So I just want to make sure you're ready for this. Okay. We're, we're talking about Christian Yelich, Chris. Oh, no. Yeah, Christian Yelich has had a big time. And I know he hasn't played as much games as everyone else because he's on the Brewers, and they've you know taken a few days off because of the Cardinals. They were supposed to play them. But Christian Yelich, uh, in the first few games, he is an 0-37 average. That is the worst in all of baseball. He is also worst in baseball in OBP with an 0-7-1, OPS with a 2-20. Woba with an 0.98. He's the only person in the league qualifying that has a Woba under 100. He is negative 45 weighted runs created plus. That is the worst in the league. And a negative 0.5 F4. That is also the worst in the majors. He is worse in the majors than all those that I just listed. Also fifth worst in strikeout percentage over 40%. So Christian Yelich, that is the, the number one catalyst in the Milwaukee Brewers lineup. And they've done okay despite that. I think they're like two and three, maybe three and two, something like that. Uh, but you need to have Christian Yelich step up. And in a when you're a superstar caliber player, if you have negative 05 war, that's going to be really tough to recover from, especially in a 60 game setting. Like he might, you might see him with like a 0.5 war this season, at best. Slightly alarming. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's a tough scene, but you know you hope over the next 50 or so games he'll. 
he'll straighten it out. And uh, that's what we got. Er, and uh, you have I a, got one more. You have a team. You have a team that's looking. I have a team. It's looking alarming. Uh, I have a team that's slightly alarming. By the way, Brian Goodwin is up right now with the bases loaded, two outs, down by one. Would you look so, at that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he just he just struck it. Oh, never mind. He didn't strike out. The game's behind. It's one two right now. Uh, but anyway, we got to talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks, Chris. This is a team that I I kind of had as a lock as second place in the NL West. Uh, I didn't know how I felt about the Padres and the Diamondbacks or uh, the Padres and the uh, Rockies, but now nah, Brian Goodwin just got out to end the game. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Still doing really well. But anyway. The Arizona Diamondbacks have been very, very bad. They are three and seven. They just got shut out by the Dodgers at Clayton Kershaw's return. And coming into Sunday, as a team, they have 59 weighted runs created plus. Uh, strangely enough, the Pirates are actually worse than that with 55, but they also uh, have the worst F war in the majors among hitters with negative 0.9, almost one below. They have two home runs as a team, just two in their first 10 games. That is really, really bad, Chris. Slightly alarming. And they also have, yeah, they also have the third worst ERA in the majors, so absolutely, absolutely nothing is clicking. Robbie Ray is an 8.64 ERA. Uh, that is something you cannot see uh, if you're the Diamondbacks. And Mad Bum is a 4.09 ERA as well. Absolutely nothing has been clicking for them. Cattell Marte has been decent. Uh, Christian Walker has been decent, but that's about it. Yeah, it's definitely not something you want to see. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're a sixth of the way through the season now, um, which is equivalent to about a month in a, in a regular 160. Xander Bogarts just hit his second home run of the game. Six oh, five. Wow! Look at the Red Sox yeah. putting up a fight. Yeah, you, you know he's three for three. Damn. All right, Sandy. Anyway, uh, where were we? Diamondbacks? Yeah. Yeah, Diamondbacks, um, you know, they were a uh, – they're definitely – yeah, as Daniel had it, for me it was, it was definitely the Diamondbacks were the second-place team in that um, NL West and therefore a playoff We're talking team. about them making a run in the playoffs with the expanded playoffs. Oh, yeah. I cha- – after, um, after I learned of expanded playoffs – I put them in the National League Championship Series with the Dodgers. Yeah. Because, you I mean, know, you got to love Madden at the top of that rotation. Robbie Ray, Zach Gallen. Yeah, I, I loved, you know, Mad Bum. Kelly. I love the, yeah. the idea of Mad Bum and, like, Gallen, Weaver, and Ray just shoving it for the first two series of the playoffs and going past – I had it against the Braves and the Nationals um, – I had them going past those teams and going to the National League Championship Series. But, um, you know, if they – I'm sure I'm sure they'll figure it out at, at some point. I mean, that offense is too good um, to post a 59-weighted runs created plus and probably lower after, uh, yeah. after the you – know, We were talking about the, a lot of the depth that they had. Yeah, we were – you know, I mean, tons of tons of depth. You know, they, they have yeah. one of the best offensive catchers in the league – they had, you know, the best second baseman in baseball last year. One of the better, uh, one of the better offensive third baseman last year. A very good offensive outfield, and uh, nothing seems to be clicking right now. Yeah, and I mean, 
once again, it's hard to read into the small sample sizes, but they mean so much more this year than they ever have in the past. Of course. Yes. So do you have anything else? No, nothing else. Um, definitely uh, something to look for with the Diamondbacks. I mean, I'll try to – maybe I should pull up their uh, their, ske- their upcoming schedule, seeing if they're – Play the Astros this week at home. Yeah, I mean, uh, that should be tough, even with the absence of Justin Verlander. I mean, you still got – Yeah, and then, they, and then they go back to – wait, they go back to – I guess they go back to San Diego next weekend. They were just there. That's weird. Well, you know, they played them yeah. 10 times over the yeah. Yeah. over 60 games, so seeing a lot of that. Even, like, even the Reds and Tigers, like, they faced each other this weekend and last weekend. But they even, like, rotated ballparks, at least. Like, the Diamondbacks are literally going back to San Diego. Like, they were just there. They oh, were literally just, Yeah. Like, I, you'd think maybe they'd play them at home, but no, they're going back there, which is interesting. Uh, but that's going to do it for the current state of baseball. It is time to look ahead. Chris, what series are you going to highlight uh, for this upcoming week? I mean, this upcoming week, I'll be honest, it's not the most exciting week of baseball. I'm looking at, I'm looking at MLB, the uh, MLB at bad app. I mean, um, one, I guess one under the radar one, uh, I think it could maybe be, it could uh, maybe budge teams in different directions. Um, I'm looking at Indians Reds, the Battle of Ohio. Yep. There's going to be some interesting matchups. It's looking like it's going to be looking like it's a four game series and you have some decent matchups. You got some decent pitching. Natalie Bauer is not pitching. He pitched today. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. Uh, I was, I, there was some, some trash talk between him and Clevenger because they were supposed to uh, pitch against each other on Wednesday. Bauer was so mad by the way, when they delayed the start of the game eight minutes before on Sunday because of rain. Like, he went on a, a tirade on Twitter. Uh, did you see that, Chris? Yeah, I did. I did. He was furious. Like, he's gotten, he's gotten, you know, he's been outspoken before, but he was fuming. Because he was supposed I get, I, I get it. Like, you're supposed to start. You're a creature of habit. This, that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. And not only that, but they moved the, the start of the game uh, from 7 to 1 just earlier. And apparently people in Detroit said they could have played at seven just fine because the rain had stopped by then. Yeah, and that and that guy is definitely a creature of habit. I mean, we've we all know we all know the warm up routine. That guy warms up for an hour and a half at least, uh, with mm-hmm. you know, he he like he'll like get in the hot tub first to warm his body up. Uh then he'll do like hip hip exercises to warm up his hips. He'll do uh, other warm-up activities to warm up the rest of the body. He does the weighted ball program, the drive line yep. stuff. Then he does a 360-foot-long toss. And then all of a sudden, the game just is called off. I mean, I, he, would, he definitely had to be fuming. I get uh, it. He definitely had to be fuming. Yeah, you, you have to get that. But, but, but anyway, the Battle of Ohio. So on Monday – so you got some decent pitching matchups. Monday – you got Zach Plesac versus Sonny Gray. Um, Zach Plesac coming off an eight, eight innings of shutout ball with uh, 11 strikeouts. And, you know, the Reds, they're a good lineup, but I don't think they're afraid to strike out. Sonny Gray's pitching against Plesac, too. Yeah, Sonny Gray 
has a .71 ERA in his two starts this season. Then uh, Tuesday, you got uh, Shane Bieber versus um, Tyler Male, which is um, yep. on paper that looks like an Indians win, but, you know, it's baseball. You never know. Never know. Then on Wednesday, very good matchup. Two guys that haven't been characteristic in their first two starts, but you definitely should watch this. You got Luis Castillo versus Mike Clevenger. I'm definitely yes. going to be in for that one. And uh, on Thursday, uh, Carlos Carrasco versus um, looks like uh, looks like a rookie TBD. Haven't heard of that guy, but all right, hopefully he's good. Yeah, I think you know the Reds have a deep pitching staff and. Them going to a rookie like TBD, we'll see how it works out for them, but he must be good. I mean, he had, some, he had decent numbers in the minors. I mean, he had, like, I think 12 strikeouts per nine in a 136 and a half in the third innings pitch last year. So uh, it yeah. is very interesting. Also, I mean, he did have a 390 RA, which isn't ideal, but, you know, you can't ignore those strikeout numbers. Yeah, he's a guy where, you know, you look at FIP is definitely an indicator. And with TBD, you know, he's not like TBA. TBA was, you know, he relies on the soft contact, but his fastball isn't going to top 91. But he still can play in 2020. TBA, you've got to be, you know, TBA had to be surgical. And if you left one fastball, yeah, you've got to be Greg Maddox. Yeah, you've got to be, you got to be like Greg Maddox. TBA, you know, you can't rely on that long term. TBD, though, I'm liking TBD. Yeah. Uh, so I have a couple matchups I'm interested in. One of them is Phillies-Yankees, just because I get to see the return of the Phillies. Also, not that it really matters without fans, but Joe Girardi will be making his return to New York. I'm sure that'll be a nice little home kind We'll do a video or something. But uh, tomorrow at 9.10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we got Walker Bueller versus Chris Paddock. Right. That is, that is a matchup that I am here for. I will be tuning into that one without a doubt. Uh, and I'm excited for the whole Dodgers-Padres series because the Padres, I know they did lose two games to the Rockies in a row, but they are 6-4, and four, which is definitely uh, above what I was expecting for them early on. And I think the Dodgers is their measuring stick. Like, this is the, all right, show us what you really got. You know, the, uh, you, face, you face the other three divisional opponents so far. This is the team to beat, obviously. And the, the Dodgers are only one game ahead of them which, you know, could mean something in a 60-game season. But you got Bueller versus Paddock on Tuesday night. You have Dustin May versus Denelson Lamette. Denelson Lamette, by the way, has looked very good, a 180 ERA. Uh, Dustin May as well with a 235. And then on Wednesday, you got Ross Stripling versus Garrett Richards. Uh, and I know on paper you think the Dodgers have the advantage. Uh, but the Padres, I really think they can hang. I think those pitchers can hang. And I'm very interested to see what happens this week. Yeah, Dodgers Padres. It's definitely a, um, you know, it, you, it's weird to put it in this verbiage early, but you know, a David versus Goliath. You know, let's see if this young team can kind of, you know, if they if they can win a series against the Dodgers this early in the season, that'll be a huge, you know, morality victory for them, and I think that'll teach yeah. them, it'll teach themselves about the the club in general, especially, you know, of course, a sixty game season these series yeah. matter a lot more 2.7 times as much as they would in a 162 game season. So yeah, that's definitely something to look for. That'll probably be on my, on my late night schedule, uh, watching yeah. MLB.tv. But yeah, got any, any, anything else? Nothing. 
Well, that wraps up the show. A, a good, clean, I think, hour that we yeah. did. Nice, nice uh, conversation about the great game of baseball from the past weekend, Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you want to watch us talk, uh, go to our YouTube channel. It is STVNL with Christianta and Daniel Curran. Also, uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, follow me at Chris underscore Gianta. Uh, follow Daniel at Daniel underscore Curran. And also follow our Instagram page. It is called at STVNL podcast. Um, we'll have, yeah, we got all, all the stuff that you need from the podcast. We got on there. Yankees just tied the game. Oh, wait, no. Was it foul? Was that foul or fair? Luke Voigt just hit a ball down the left. They called. All right, they're calling it gone. Yeah, the Yankees just had the game. Yeah, that's 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 more like it. I mean, what, what do you expect? Yeah. So we we uh, we hope you enjoyed. Yeah, oh, so, yeah. Uh, baseball reference and fan graphs, as always, for helping us with the st- statistics. Uh, would not be possible without them. Yes, and uh, a shout out to the wonderful baseball savant as well, mm-hmm. and. We hope you enjoyed our weekend recap, um, our August 3rd, 2020 edition of our our weekend recap of baseball. And we hope to see you in the middle of the week um, where we will be talking about uh, the, you know, definitely the series that we highlighted, you know, Padres, Dodgers, and um, Indians, Reds, and other series to go with that. Um, Mm -hmm. And we'll, yeah, we will look forward to seeing you then. Uh, See you on Thursday.